Good morning. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be before you this morning to share the Word of God. This week I was able to revisit the experience of an old acquaintance of mine. And as I was revisiting this experience, I was going through a specific experience that this acquaintance went through, which was 10 years ago, this man was consumed by the worries of this world. This man was consumed by the trends of clothes and shoes, thinking that he would find happiness in those things. And about 10 years ago, this man received a phone call saying that his house had been broken into. A large sum of money was taken. Many of his prized possessions were no longer there. And his response was one of fear, was one of being worried. So much so that it led him to not be able to sleep right or well for the next couple of months. As he thought about how to protect himself, as he thought about how to buy the things that were taken from him. Poor guy, he had no hope. And he went on to continue living the same way for himself. This morning we're going to be looking at a passage that deals with the issue of anxiety and how it is incompatible with those who belong to the kingdom of God. I ask you this morning to turn with me to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to be reading verses 22 through 24. Luke 12, 22 through 34. And if you're using the Black Pew Bible in front of you, you can find that on page 871. Here we come to a teaching of Jesus where he teaches his followers that They should not be anxious people, that we should not be characterized by worry. And the reason, as we will see, is that those who belong to God are always taken care of by God. So if you look there, starting in verse 22 of chapter 12. This is the word of the Lord. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more important than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, 
seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In this passage, Jesus calls his disciples to not be anxious, and he does that three times. And we see that in verses 22, 29, and 32. And the reason for this emphasis is that being anxious is not characteristic of those who belong to the kingdom of God. Now, we live in a culture that is anxious about many things. In her New York Times article, The Anxious Americans, T.M. Lerman writes, Americans are pretty anxious people. Nearly one in five of us, 18%, has an anxiety disorder. We spend over $2 billion a year on anti-anxiety medications. College students are often described as more stressed than ever before. There are many explanations for these nerves. A bad job market, less cohesive communities, the constant self-comparison that is social media. And being that we all live in America, we can understand or someone relate to why our culture is anxious. People go on shopping sprees to try to keep up with the culture, to keep up with trends for fear of not being in the loop or for fear of being rejected. Others turn to drugs, to alcohol, to try and numb the fears and the pain that this fallen world has caused. Others worry because they do not know what the purpose of their life is, or why they even exist, why they're in this world. We all know people who are paralyzed by their fears. Maybe you're one of them. And this has become so common that it has been accepted as something normal. And the way our culture says that we are to deal with anxiety and worry is to just manage it. A quick Amazon check will show you that there are thousands of books on how to cope with anxiety. For example, one of the first books that you'll see as you check is How to Cope with Anxiety, Eight Ways to Overcome Anxiety with Natural Stress Relievers and Relaxation Techniques. Or the second book, Coping with Anxiety, Ten Simple Ways to Relieve Anxiety, Fear, and Worry. Our culture is one that aims at managing anxiety. But in our passage, Jesus tells his disciples more than just how to manage their fears. He tells them, and he tells us, how to get rid of it. Now, there are two kinds of things that we can all worry about. We can either worry about temporal things or eternal things. Things of this world or things of heaven. And Jesus wants his followers to not worry about the temporal things of this world. And the reason is that to do so is to not trust God, which is sin. And this sin comes from a wrong understanding of who God is. 
And this is what Jesus is getting at. And it covers both of our points for this morning. So if you're taking notes, we have two main points and some sub-points to fill in each, of each one of those points. The first one is, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. And the second is, seek the kingdom. Jesus tells us that we are not to be anxious because, and here come four reasons why we are not to be anxious, why Jesus prohibits us from being anxious. The first one is that anxiety distracts us from our purpose. Anxiety distracts us from our purpose. If you look at verses 22 to uh, 23, we read, And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Keep in mind that Jesus is talking to his disciples. And right before this passage, someone in the crowd had just asked, recently asked Jesus, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus responded by telling them a parable of a rich fool who was anxious about his, about his possessions and who gave himself to building larger barns to store his, the abundance of his grain and his goods, thinking that life consisted in the abundance of his possessions. And Jesus responded, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. And this is the way that that preceding section ends. This is where Jesus picks up and says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, nor about your body. And the reason is found there in verse 21, which is, Everyone must make a decision as to where they will put, where they will store their treasure, on earth or in heaven, in the self or in God. Two choices. Focusing on self will lead one to be consumed by the materialism of this world. And the second choice is that giving oneself to God will lead one to focus and give themselves to the kingdom of God. And this is the same idea that Jesus refers to when he says in Matthew, you cannot serve two masters because one will either hate the because one will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the other one and despise the other. Now if you're like me, you're probably saying, all right Jesus, I get you. I'm following you. I see what you're saying. But if I don't put my treasure, if I don't put my trust in or money in the reserves, if I don't set money aside, if I don't store something, and something happens to me, what then? Who's going to take care of me? And the answer that Jesus provides is, God will take care of you. Jesus points them to the birds of the air to help them understand something of God's care. He says there in verse 24, 
Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? In other words, God feeds the birds, and you are worth more than the birds. Therefore, God will feed you. God is a caring God who knows not only the needs of birds, but He also knows the needs of His creation of man and provides for them. This is why Peter could call others to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. God knew the needs of His people then, and He knows our needs now. Peter says, God cares for you. Therefore, humble yourselves. How do we do that? How do we go about doing that, Peter? Well, he gives us the answer. He says, by casting all of your anxieties on Him. To not cast one's anxieties on Him is to be prideful. Is to believe that we do not need God is to think that we can take care of ourselves. And all of that is not true. We are dependent beings. Now, Jesus was known for asking people to transfer their trust from themselves to God. For example, also in Luke in uh, chapter 18, when the, rich wrong, when the rich young ruler approached Jesus and asked him what he could do to inherit the kingdom, Jesus responded, Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Unfortunately, the ruler became very sad, for he was extremely rich, and his sadness pointed to his self-interest to trusting in himself, not wanting to depend on God. He kept his loyalty to his money, to himself. And Jesus taught that coming after him involves denying himself, denying oneself, losing one's life. Or in other words, a change of ownership, a dependence on God. Jesus says, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. The people that Jesus was addressing in this time, in this culture, had it way different than we do. They didn't have the long block of multiple drive throughs They didn't have the many malls that we have surrounding us. For the most part, they had to cook their own food and make their own clothes. But Jesus tells them, do not be anxious about these things. Because life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And so the point that Jesus is getting across here is, life has a greater purpose than to just eat and to be dressed. And aren't these the things that contribute to the anxiety in our culture? Food and fashion? 
It's easy to be consumed with the culture of Yelp, desiring to become an elite, wanting to check in at every restaurant, wanting to write a review for every meal. It's so easy to get pulled into the streams of this world, wanting to fit in, wanting to have the latest styles, having new clothes, having new cars. Jesus tells us that the life that we have been given has not been given for us to be consumed with the things that we will wear and the things that we will eat. Because those things are temporal. They don't last. We have been given life for the purpose of living for God's glory. And according to the Bible, from the very beginning, man was created to display God's image so that we would reflect God's glory. Man was called to mirror God's image by being fruitful and by multiplying and filling the earth so that the glory of God would cover the earth. But ever since the fall of man, man has refused to live out his purpose and has earned God's judgment. And this is the very reason that Jesus came into this world to seek and to save the lost. And in our passage, Jesus teaches us that the lives of his people are meant for more than just food and, food and clothing. They're meant to be lived out for the glory of God. So Christian, if God has given you life, which he has, if God has redeemed you, and he has. If God has a purpose for your life, and he does, then he will provide all that you need in order to survive, to accomplish the purpose for which he's called you. We have been given life and a body for God's glory, to fulfill his plan, which is to glorify his name in this world. And that is what our priority should be. And I want to encourage you by reminding you that it is God who set you apart before you were born. He was pleased to reveal His Son to you at the right time. He regenerated you by His Spirit. And He, have, he has put you in His family and has placed you exactly where you are in life. So that you would glorify Him. And if He has done all of this, then surely God will take care of your needs. And if we understand this, if you understand this, you can come to learn to not worry about food and about clothing. Because anxiety distracts us from our purpose. This then leads us to our second point. Or our second reason. Anxiety lies about our provider. Anxiety lies about our provider. Anxiety tends to distort our understanding of God's care and providing for us. Verse 24 says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Now, the Bible teaches that God created animals. 
He created all of them according to their kind, from the beasts of the field to the smallest insects. And all of these bring glory to God. Their very existence points to God as their creator and God as their provider. A closer look at other passages in Scripture show us that God cares for His animals. For example, when Job complained and questioned God about what was happening to him, it was God who reminded Job that He provides for animals. There in Job 28, 39-41, we read, Can you hunt the prey for the lion, or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens, or lie in wait in their thicket? Who provides for the ravens its prey, when its young ones cry to God for help, and wander about for lack of food? And the answer was clear. God provides. And in response, Job acknowledged God's sovereignty and praised Him. And it's in our passage that Jesus draws the disciples' attention to the great care that God has for even His animals. He wants His disciples to understand that if God feeds the ravens, who give Him glory in a limited way, God will also provide for man who He has made with a higher capacity to bring Him glory. Jesus says, Look at them. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Jesus was teaching His disciples that God cares. Now what Jesus was not telling His disciples was that that they did not have to work. That would be a contradiction to God's own, own word. For we, work, we have been created to work, to reflect something of God's character as we work. God has given man the ability and capacity to work. But what Jesus is saying is that even when His children do everything that's possible within their means and within their capacity to work, and for some reason, according to God's will, aren't able to provide... God makes sure that His people are taken care of. Why? Because God has taken the responsibility upon Himself to provide for His own. Jesus was also not prohibiting His followers from saving. The Bible says that we should save. And as a matter of fact, we should be good stewards of what God has given us. We should make wise investments. But what Jesus is saying is that as far as God's provision is concerned, God takes it upon Himself to provide for His people. So this should free us to hold loosely to the things that God gives us. Because God is responsible for caring for His people. If we look at the end of verse 24, of how much more value are you than the birds? The point is that God feeds the birds. And if God makes sure that they are fed, won't He also make sure that we are fed too? Therefore, we don't need to give in to anxiety or worrying about whether we will have enough to eat or to wear. 
whether we will have enough now or when we retire. Jesus says, I tell you, speaking as the very provider that he has been pointing to, God promises to sustain you so that you fulfill the purpose for which God has called you. So the first two things that we see are that life comes from God and its purpose is to glorify Him. And God provides for the life that He gives. So anxiety or worrying about the temporal things of this world get in the way of our living for the glory of God and lead us to believe that the lie that God does not provide. This then takes us to our third reason for why we shouldn't be anxious. Anxiety leads us to believe that we control our life. It leads us to think that we are in control of our lifespan. Verses 25 through 26. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Jesus told his disciples that they could not add extra time to their life. And so many people are so preoccupied with this, looking for ways to prolong life. Which is a good thing. It's a good desire. For we weren't created to die. That's an effect of the fall. But people give their lives and are consumed by this. And instead, Jesus reminds them that It is God who determines how long they live in this world. It is God who determines how long we live in this world. And Jesus highlights the fact that adding a single hour is a small thing. The second book of Kings records the story of King Hezekiah. One of Judah's few kings that had a close relationship with God. One who did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. He was a king who began his reign at the age of 25 and was more zealous for God than any of his predecessors. Later in his life, he became very sick and the prophet Isaiah came to him and told him to set things in order and to prepare to die. Hezekiah prayed and asked God for mercy. God heard his prayer He healed him and added not just an extra hour of life. He added 15 years of life. God did this to fulfill and advance his plan in Hezekiah's life. As Jesus would later come through this line to bring glory to God. And we see that it is God who holds the span of each one of our lives in His hand. Jesus taught His disciples that worrying does not help at all. Worrying is useless. Worrying about how long we're going to live will not increase our lifespan. It actually does the opposite. It adds to the health problems that we already have as a result of the fall. We should be responsible in how we live our lives, in how we use the wealth that God provides, and how we, in the things that we eat. 
But what we're not to do is to be consumed about wanting to add life by worrying. Because we are not the ones who determine our life. That responsibility belongs to God and God alone. We trust that God is the giver of life and God is the sustainer of life. And if He sustains, He will provide for our lives till the end. Making sure that we accomplish His purpose in advancing His kingdom and His glory. So this then leads us to the fourth reason. Anxiety leads us to misplace our trust. Verses 27 through 28. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? Here Jesus turns our attention from food to clothing. And while those of the world worry about food and clothing, Jesus reveals God's desire to provide for His own children. He draws our attention to the lilies and says, Look at them. Look at how they grow. They don't toil. They don't spin. They don't work. They don't earn their clothes. They don't work for their beauty. And then he says, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And from what we read in Scripture, King Solomon was a wealthy man. One of the things that was noticeable about him was his clothing. And as a wealthy man, he wore fine garments. But even Solomon did not dress like the flowers that God clothes. The, flower that, the flowers that God dresses serve to give testimony to their creator and their provider, God. And the point in verse 28 is, if God dresses the flowers and the grass the way He does, which are alive today and then gone tomorrow, how much more will He clothe you? In other words, who do you think God would prefer to dress? Flowers or man who was made in God's image? Jesus says, I tell you, God prefers to dress you. God wouldn't take the time and effort to dress the flowers, but then forget about you. Oh no. And as His people... God will accomplish His purposes in your life, and that includes providing for your needs. If flowers which hold no eternal value are cared for this way, how much more will He care for you, His Son's bride, the one whom He has chosen from before the creation of the world and has redeemed? And this shows us that the problem of anxiety and worry is that it's sinful. At the core, these things reveal a lack of faith in God. It shows that we do not trust God. And when we don't trust God, we're always trusting in something else. Anything that we trust in 
who is not God will always be an idol. And these are the first two commandments that God gave His people at Mount Sinai as a way that they were to relate to Him. The first two commandments being, You shall have no other gods before Me, and you shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Idolatry is that which takes our worship, our attention, our service, and it can be any created thing. So worry, fear, anxiety in the heart is a display of idolatry. It's a sign that we are trusting in something other than God. We've seen that God is powerful to create by the power of His Word. God is the one who grants life. He is the one who created the flowers and created man. So the problem isn't that God is not powerful. The problem is that we don't trust God to keep His promises. And as Christians, we're all guilty of this. Remember, Jesus is talking to His disciples. Those who walked with Him, those who ate with Him, those who lived with Him. He knew this, and that's why He offered to relieve their worries by building their faith and building our faith, reminding us of the love and the care that the Father has for us. So Jesus tells His disciples, if God provides for the flowers and the grass, surely He will provide for you. If you are worrying, it's because you have little traces of unbelief. And God calls us to identify those, to repent, and to turn to Him. For this is the very reason that Jesus came. He came to those who are in need, to those who trust in themselves. He came to offer Himself. So in verse 29, Jesus says, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. In other words, don't make these things, or don't let these things consume your life. Don't worry about these things. Don't live for these things. Why? The answer is there in verse 30. For the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. So here we're giving a contrast between those who belong to God and the nations of the world. The unbelieving world desperately gives itself to seeking temporal things of this world, thinking that life is found in these things. Little do they know that attaining those things will never satisfy, will always leave one empty and wanting more. So, if you're visiting us this morning and you know yourself not to be a believer, what are, your, what are you giving yourself to? What are you living life for? When you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, 
What is it that's on your mind? Because that's a good indication of what you're living for. And let me tell you from personal experience, those things, even if you achieve them, will never satisfy you. They will always leave you empty, wanting more. For the first time, Jesus refers to God as Father. And notice that when Jesus referred to the ravens, to the lilies, and the grass, Jesus said that God feeds them. But here, He gets more personal and He says, Your Father knows your needs. It is the Father who knows that you need these things. And that's amazing. The very God who created the birds of the air and who clothes the flowers of the fields, He knows your every need. And He's not just any father, like any father. He's a good father. In Matthew's Gospel, he records Jesus' description of what the Father is like by comparing Him to earthly evil fathers. In Matthew 7, 9-11, Jesus says, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? His point is this. If evil fathers know how to give good things to their children, how much more will our Heavenly Father, who is holy and good, give us the things that we need? Not only is our Father good and willing to give these things to His children, He also possesses the knowledge of what His children need. And this is comforting. This should bring great comfort. Because it would be one, one thing for God to just be able to provide. But it's something else for God to know your every need and His willingness to provide for them. And if that's the case, Jesus asks, What are you worried about? Why are you afraid? Your anxiety... It's good for nothing. Anxiety and worry only lead us to distract us from our purpose in life. It leads us to think incorrectly about our provider. It makes us think that we are in charge of our own life. And it leads us to misplace our trust. Now how can we get rid of this worry? This leads us to the second point. Give your attention. Seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. And there's only two subpoints here. The first one is give your attention to God's priority. Verse 31 says, Instead, seek the kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus tells us that the way to combat temptation, or to, the way to combat tempta the temptation to be consumed by anxiety, is by seeking God's kingdom. And as His disciples, we are to engage in the Father's business. We are to give ourselves to the Father's mission. And God has promised in return 
to provide for our needs. So Jesus says that the key is to give yourself to the kingdom of God. That which has to do with God's rule. That which has to do with God's plan of salvation for the world. That which involves the gospel. That which exalts God's Son, Jesus Christ. We are to give ourselves to this. I've said this before, but I think that one of the things that we will regret when we get to heaven is the fact that we didn't evangelize more. For evangelism is the only thing we can't do in heaven. And we should be giving ourselves to proclaiming the greatness of God, proclaiming the greatness of Jesus Christ who has come into this world to seek and to save lost sinners. That is the reason that He came. In Colossians 3, 1 through 2, Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Paul urges Christians to stop seeking the things of this world. He says, If you have been raised with, with Christ, then seek the eternal, imperishable things of heaven. Seek Christ's, Christ's glory. Seek Christ's exaltation. Go out and proclaim Him as Lord, as the only Savior of the world, and call people to repent and to submit to His will. This is the idea of Seeking His kingdom. It's a call to God's children to live for His honor and His glory. And so if you're visiting us this morning, once again, and you know yourself not to be a believer, God calls you to turn away from your own glory and to seek His glory. God graciously calls you to come to Him and to enter His kingdom on His terms. Which only happens by repenting of your rejection of Him and giving your life to Him. Trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. This is the first thing that you're called to do. He requires you to humble yourself, acknowledging that you cannot save yourself, that you cannot provide for yourself, and turning to Him for His great provision offered in His Son Jesus Christ. And once you do that, He calls you to live for Him. To give your life to His service wherever He places you. He calls you to honor Him, which He will enable you to do. And all of these other things that we've been talking about will be added to you. And the reason for this is that it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There's great assurance in this. The Father is pleased and is willing to give His kingdom to His children. The fear that Jesus was anticipating the disciples would have was probably one of the fear of persecution that they would have, which would bring anxiety as a natural response. But here we see that Jesus comforts them and He addresses them as little flock, giving them an image of sheep who are helpless, but pointing them to a shepherd who was powerful and mighty to provide for their needs. Jesus tells us that it pleases God to give His children the kingdom, which includes every resource in His kingdom. And last, 
We're called to seek the kingdom by holding loosely to His blessings. This leads us to the way of overcoming anxiety. Verses 33 to 34. Jesus says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. After walking his disciples through why they should not set their hearts on the worries of this world, Jesus now tells them where they are to set their hearts. And that is to the permanent treasure of heaven that are found in heaven. The Lord of heaven brings his lesson to a close and invites his disciples to walk in his shoes. He calls them to sell their their possessions and to be charitable towards the needy. He begins to teach them part of what characterizes the people of his kingdom. And he says that it's to be generous. And as people of his kingdom, we are to reflect the character of our king. The standards of his, of his kingdom are much different than the kingdom of this world. Living for God's kingdom means caring for the needs of others and not just caring for oneself. And this is exactly what Jesus was doing. Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross as He came into this world to offer our greatest need, which was Himself, the one who perfectly upheld the law, the one who then gave Himself as a sacrifice to atone for the, for, for the penalty of our sins. And we didn't ask for it, but God, knowing our needs, sent His Son to provide for our greatest need of all, which was is His Son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy, referring to an acknowledgement that everything that we have comes from God. And if we believe this, we will know that God is a generous provider who calls us to be ready to let go of the things that He gives us He calls us to hold loosely to the things that He gives us so that we would be a blessing to others. In other words, we are to use our resources to benefit others. And this is so that we would advance God's purpose in this world by pointing people to our greatest treasure, which is Christ Himself. And it's only when we hold loosely to the things that we have That we can come to rest in God and live a worry-free life. And Jesus mentions one last thing for why we are to have an attitude that's ready to give to God's service. He says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He teaches that one is loyal to that which one values the most. If one values material things on this earth... One will give oneself to achieving those things and attaining those things and protecting those things. But if one values God and His kingdom, that person will give himself or herself to advancing that kingdom, to being loyal to that king. And if our treasure is on heavenly things, namely God and Christ, then our heart will be there also.
Remember that acquaintance that I told you about at the beginning. Following up with him, I found out that his house was broken into again ten years later. And by this point, he had come to know the Lord. And he had come to respond differently. Where ten years prior, he lost sleep for a couple of months and wanted to get revenge and build up more possessions. This time, he rested in God knowing that if he had Christ, he has everything. And that even the breaking into his house the second time was an act of God's kindness to help him to hold loosely to the things of this world. Showing him that Christ is far more valuable than anything that this world offers. That Christ satisfies and fulfills more than any clothes or shoes that this world can provide. By God's grace... I am that person. To God be the glory for the work that He does in each and every one of us. For the ways that He works to bring glory to His name. For the way that He works to provide for our needs so that He would be glorified. Christians, let us not forget that we have a great King, the King of Kings, who watches over all of His kingdom and generously provides for the needs of His people. We also have a good shepherd who has demonstrated his love for us by giving his life for his sheep. We have a loving father who delights in providing for his children the resources needed for our good and his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you to thank you for your goodness and for your kindness. We thank you that you are a good God who is a giver of good gifts. We thank you that you bless us beyond measure. That even when you call us to ask, and many times we don't because we doubt that you will answer, we praise you that you answer and you provide for our every need. We thank you that you have provided for our greatest need, which is your Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have forgiveness of sins by his life, death, and resurrection. Lord, we pray that you would increase our faith so that we would be holding loosely to the things of this world. We pray that you would turn our hearts so that we would be giving ourselves to your kingdom, so that Christ would receive the reward for his suffering. So that we would not fear men and that we would be bold in sharing the gospel. So that we would be consumed with making the fame of Jesus known. We acknowledge that even these things don't come from ourselves. But your word says that if we ask, you would respond. That if we knock, you would open. And Lord, we ask according to your will, and we trust that this is your will, that you would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. Amen.